So this morning I want to talk about the uh, elephant in the room, the election. Um, a lot there. there. There's a lot there. And I'm a guy that I don't, I don't preach politics. I don't preach for candidates and parties and, and all these things. But when I see that the church seems to be in, in, in a divided place over this election, and, and again, I, I think it's divided. I don't think it matters who won. I think there was going to be division. I, I really do. Uh, how do we handle that? Uh, if you spend any time on social media, you see lots of blogs coming from different perspectives. I read one last week that suggested perhaps people just need to leave the evangelical church and, and find another church that would be more in line with uh, compassion and love. I think one of the, I think one of the difficult statistics, the, maybe the most difficult poll to come out of this whole election season. Everybody talks about how. The polls were all wrong, you know, and where everybody's surprised. But maybe the, one of the most difficult polls that have come out of everything is that uh, the one that said 81% of white evangelicals voted for the Republican candidate. And there's a lot of people in the church that say that's just kind of a painful reality. People of color have said that's a painful reality because they feel that the rhetoric has been so difficult this election season. <clears throat> and so... I've read stories of children who's, who have classmates that are bullying them, saying, you know, your family's going to get sent back to Mexico. And I've heard stories of uh, white folks that feel more emboldened to make race, racial remarks, racist remarks, in light of this election. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that their, their racism was caused by what we see, but I certainly think it's uh, uh, it, they were emboldened to say more, emboldened to come out and do these things. <clears throat> and then I also see people that are more fearful in the in the country they live in. <clears throat> they thought we were making progress, and now they see that we're not as far as maybe they hoped we were. Actually, we've seen that all year, even before the election. We've seen racial issues. So <clears throat> what I want to do, and I'm praying my voice holds out, um, what I want to do is uh, I want to address that. Uh, I don't want to get, <clears throat> I know I'm talking about politics, but I don't want to get political. I, I don't want to promote a person or a party or an ideology. I want, to, uh, I want to support biblical values. I want to think about this correctly. But when I see the church divided, I can't help but, but, but think to myself, we've got to talk about that. We have to talk about that. And I think this is a great place to do it because the Northwoods, I mean, these are some of the most loving, welcoming people I've ever met. And other people say the same thing. When they move in here, they say, what an amazing community this is. So what better people to talk to about it than people who are welcoming, who are loving, who come in it from that angle. So as I talk this morning, um, I'm also thinking of Thanksgiving coming up. And the fact that you're going to be sitting down at the table with people who probably think different than you on some things. Maybe they're saved, maybe they're not saved, but they're going to be sitting there. As you hear me preach today, know that I'm talking about the church, how we relate to one another. Yes, you could take some of these principles and apply them to people that don't know Jesus, and that might work. But really what I'm talking about is the division I see in the church 
brother to brother, sister to sister, us. That's what I'm talking about. Probably, I'm going to say some things that you think go too far. And I'm probably going to say some things that other people think fall too short. That's just the nature of this thing. But what I'm preaching, when I was studying this week, I studied in a way that I hope makes us reflect on us, on the church, on what we can do. That is the way I studied. Not to wag a finger at anyone, but to just cause a place to reflect. So I'm going to pray that way, and I'm going to ask that you give me the grace uh, to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are sovereign over everything. You are sovereign over the church and how we do church. We can't just do church any way we want. We have to follow the Scriptures. And yet we also know that you are sovereign over uh, government, over this, over this sphere of worldly authority. Even though we say it's worldly, we know at the top you're still there reigning and ruling. You still set up governing authorities. And we know that was just as true in, in Paul's time as it is in our time. And whether we're under a, a dictatorship or an emperorship or whether we're in a, in a, in a democracy, we, we are thankful to be under your rule. And so I pray this morning that you give me <clears throat> the words to speak, that I would speak according to the text and that we would receive whatever you want us to receive. And if something feels odd to us, that we would discern that. And if it's the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, I pray you'd let that happen. And if there's a word that I say that's not for someone here, that they would not take that personally. Father, help us. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to go to Romans chapter 14. As you go there, I'm going to take another drink. We had an awesome uh, membership class yesterday. Uh, Seven uh, people in the class for membership. There's probably about four more that will probably take it next spring. Uh, So that's all very exciting. Uh, But I realized I, I talked for about four hours maybe yesterday. So maybe I'm maybe I'm suffering the consequences. I don't know. We'll see. Okay, this is Romans 14. If you want to work through a large text, it's sometimes a little tricky, but we're going to try here. Uh, Paul's argument in Romans chapter 1 through 12, 1 through 11, excuse me, is primarily explaining the gospel. And it's deep, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. I mean, you think you know the gospel, then you read Romans and you're like, boy, it just takes me that much deeper into it. But then he gets to like chapter 12, and it's like application. You know, God has saved you. Jesus died for you, he rose from the dead, and that changes everything. Now what? In 12 through 16, those chapters explain the now what? What do we do with this? If the gospel is true and Jesus died for me, how do I live that out? And so he's going to say things like, let your body be a living sacrifice. That's good application. He's going to say things like, let no debt remain outstanding except the debt to love one another. He's going to say things like, you owe each other love, so you better love. And then you get to chapter 14. And before we read it, I want to tell you kind of what's going on. Uh, History tells us 
that the Roman emperor at some point kicked out uh, the Jews out of Rome. He kicked out all the Jewish people. And for a time they were gone. And then at some point they were allowed to come back into the city. Now, when they came back in, you already had a Gentile Christian church in Rome that was established. And the Gentile Christians are worshiping God on Sunday, not Saturday. They're worshiping on Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And then you've got all these Jewish Christians that are now coming back in. <clears throat> and they're looking at the Gentile Christians and they're like, we leave for a moment and look what happens, you know. <clears throat> um, I left for a moment and, and, and you guys are worshiping on Sunday and, and you're eating unclean foods. That should not be. We all know the Sabbath is Saturday. This is how it is. And we all know when we're not going to your barbecue parties, that's not happening. Because we're Jewish Christians. Now, the interesting thing is, they're not trusting in those Old Testament laws to save them. But they are, they're trusting in Jesus to save them. And yet they're still, they still want to follow the Old Testament law. It's not in a bad way. But in a good way. They just want to follow the law. But the bad thing is they're kind of judging everybody else that doesn't follow the Old Testament law. And, and, then, and then the Gentile Christians, they're kind of like, you guys, just do it like us. Why are you acting like that? Why do you think you need to follow the Old Testament law? Why do you think you've got to worship on the Sabbath? Jesus rose on Sunday. That's more important. And now there's strife and conflict. And the conflict is over a disputable opinion. This is how we do it. No, this is how we do it. Who's right? Who's wrong? Paul, you've got to help us figure this out. Here's what Paul does. Uh, chapter 14, let's do 1 through 3. 1 through 3 is Paul's main point here. I want you to see it first. He says, Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. I knew vegetarians were weak. I knew it. Oh, just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> kidding. All right. The man who eats... You hunters. The hunters aren't even here to amen me on that. You know, they're not even here. <clears throat> they're all in the woods. Tell the hunters to listen to this sermon. This is for them. Uh, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Let me boil that down to one little sentence. When it comes to disputable matters, things we disagree on, but we're reading the Bible and we're trying to figure out what we disagree, that would include voting and politics, things we're free to vote for candidate A or candidate B or candidate C, but we're disagreeing, this is Paul's word. When Christians disagree, you welcome those people as God has welcomed you. You welcome those people as God has welcomed you. You can't condemn them. You welcome them. Now the word welcome is kind of interesting. Uh, we can get that word up there. It's proslambano. Proslambano. Uh, it means welcome, accept, or receive. Uh, it, it means some other things too, depending on, on, where, on where it's used. Like uh, It also means to take someone aside. So like when Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him, you're not going to die you know, that was a bad day for Peter. But um, that was proslambano. Come over here. L let me take you aside here, receive you, and tell you what's really up. It's used in Acts when Paul's doing his missionary journeys and going to these different places. And he says, 
The people welcomed me. They proslambanoed me. They didn't know who I was. They're not even Jewish people, but they welcomed me. And now you get to this, and, and Paul says, I know you guys are disagreeing on, on these different opinions on what to eat and what day to worship on, but let me tell you, proslambano, welcome those people because God has welcomed you. Now, if you uh, are going into Thanksgiving and you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna open your door to people, you're going to welcome them. You're going to open your door and say, proslambano, right? That's right. Because you're going to bring them in, and, and you know they differ than you. They know they feel differently about whatever issue this is. But you're going to welcome them because God welcomed you. Now, if you want to think about this, I know sometimes we look at Christians over there, Christians over here, and we say, how could you hold that, that political opinion? How could you vote that way? How could you do that? Let me say this. When you became a believer... You still, you were really messed up. Like, you know that. You were really messed up. Your views, your ideologies, your political opinions, they were a mess. And what if God treated you the way we treat some people in the church? I'm done with you. You know, what if God looked at you and said, there's so much work there, I'm not even sure we can figure that out, you know? (laughs) You're a whole mess of crazy. I can't even deal with that, you know? And I know some of us go into the holidays thinking that. There's family members that are so messed up in their views, how do we even begin to deal with that? And God says, let me tell you, welcome them. Because I welcomed you. And you were a mess. You were a huge project. (laughs) But I began the work, and I'm going to finish the work. So as the church talks about these issues, as we talk about about, um, immigration, racial reconciliation, as, as, as we talk about uh, how, how to help people in poverty, should the government even be doing that? As we talk about these things, the issue is we're in di- different places. And some of us, we believe really strongly, but none of that should affect how we welcome each other in the body of Christ. Because we're all developing. We're all forming convictions. We're all looking at the Bible. We're all trying to figure this out. And so we welcome. The divisions that I've seen, I can truly appreciate when someone's writing a a blog or an article and trying to help me understand a different view. I love that and I welcome that. I welcome that view into my life. But if someone gets judgmental as implying sin and and you're not really a Christian, and, and that's where I draw the line. Because they ought to welcome me too, as I welcome them. We welcome each other. So we've got to figure that out. What does that look like? Well, Paul gives us a whole chapter on what it looks like. Now, uh, before I go on on what it looks like, I want to be clear on one thing. A couple things. Um, when I talk about disputable matters, I'm not talking about the, the basics of our faith, the, the doctrines of our faith. I'm not talking about the deity of Christ. Oh, you believe Jesus is God and I don't. Let's worship together. No. No. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't believe Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. You know, I mean, this is not a disputable matter. There are cults that teach Jesus is not God. They're not part of us. They're separate from us. And we're not talking about things that are like sinful, like right and wrong, good and evil. We're not talking about that. We're talking about opinions. 
convictions based on how we read the Scripture. How do we welcome people? Well, let's keep moving. Um, We'll read verse 4, and then we'll read 10 through 13, because that's one thought Paul has here. And I want to just, I could read the whole thing and get you confused, but hopefully I'll keep you connected here. Verse 4. How do we welcome people? Well, Paul says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands and falls, and he will stand because the Lord's able to make him stand. And so there's this idea about judging here. You don't get to judge God's servant. Now jump down to verse 10. Uh, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let let us stop passing judgment on one another, Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. Okay, number one then. Did you catch the key word in all those verses I just read? Judge. Judge. Do not judge them. Paul's argument goes like this. If you, if, when Christians talk and we have a different perspective on things, I need to hear other people's perspective. The fact is, I'm not a person of color. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what that feels like. I need to hear their perspective. I need to welcome that and receive it. Proslambano it. But, I don't judge. Even if I see some things I agree with and some things I disagree with, I don't judge it. I I, I might judge what the words are, but I don't judge the person. See, when you judge people, you set yourself up as God. And basically what you're saying is, you're a bad guy because you believe this, because you voted like this. You're a bad guy. And that is judgment. And that is God's realm because God's the judge. And Paul's like, if you doubt me on this, if you doubt me, he says, I'll, go, I'll show you some Old Testament verses here, you know. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess to God. He's like, I'll take you back to the Old Testament. So, this is kind of cool because it's the Jewish people that are saying, uh, you Gentiles, stop your eating of the pork and other unclean foods and worship with us on Saturday. And Paul says, you want Old Testament? I'll give you Old Testament. You don't get to judge someone else's servant. And the church is God's servant. So, if you've got to be really careful. When you read other people's opinions... No matter what side of the aisle you're on on this, you've got to look at those things and say, hold on, hold on, I'm not judging that person. That's God's servant. What they've written or how they voted or what they've done, that's them and God. And one day, God's going to call them into account and say, this is what you said. This is what you voted. This is what you stood for. This is the person you stood behind in that election. How come? Give an account. I mean, that's what this Old Testament teaches. So, we don't judge. It's not our place. We don't judge. Secondly, um, number two, assume the best about their heart. Let's read five through nine. This ought to be shocking. I I hope it's a little shocking because it was shocking when I thought about it. It says this, 5 through 9. 
uh, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord and he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And we'll do nine as well. For this reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We have to assume the best about people. Um, this is, look at how Paul describes it. So you got people, some people, Paul says, are strong in faith. That's the Gentile Christians. And the strong are eating everything and they're worshiping whenever they want to worship. The weak are the Jewish people who say, you can't eat certain things. You've got to worship on the Sabbath. So Jews are the weak ones. Gentiles are the strong ones here. And, and here's what Paul does. He says, um, some of you consider one day more sacred than the other. That would be the Jewish people, right? And he says, let them be convinced in their own mind. Um, okay, you're the Apostle Paul. You're writing Bible verses. You know, if I'm Paul right now, if I'm Paul, I'm going to go like this. I'm going to go like this. Let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you how to think. I'm Paul, and I'm writing under the inspiration of God. And you just throw it out there. And here's what Paul does instead. He says, consider the fact that the choice that they've made, the things that they're saying, have come from their conscience. Have come from their mind, thinking through this issue and doing the best they can with it. Assume the best about their heart. And then he also goes on to say, uh, uh, let's do, uh, he regards one day as special. This is verse 6, does so to the Lord. He eats to the Lord. He gives thanks to God. He's saying, the other people of the other opinion, they're acting in a way that honors God. And you might say, but they're wrong. They're totally wrong. They're using this book, the Bible, and they're trying to act and think in a way that honors God. So let's assume the best about somebody's heart. So much of the way we talk about these issues is, you're on that side? Well, I'm on this side. You're the bad guy? I'm the good guy. Imagine if we came together and said, I'm assuming the best about you. I'm going to assume the best about you because I believe you read this book and you tried to make the best decision you could. Assume the best. I would think, and later Paul's going to say it like this. I love this. I, I wanted to read the whole chapter, but it takes so long to read the whole thing and then, and then go back and read it again. But... um. Paul says later, he points out the fact that the strong people are right and the weak people are wrong. Like, he says it. I mean, you know how, how like, that just blows my mind? Paul says, this side is right, this side is wrong, but by the way, if you happen to be on the right side or the wrong side, I don't care because you're both trying to honor God. Oh, man. Apostle Paul, just tell me who's wrong and tell him to quit it. You know what I mean? Just tell him to quit it. It's kind of like Mary and Martha, you know. It was a Martha that said, tell, uh, tell Mary to help me, right? Just tell her. Uh, 
let's assume the best about the people we disagree with, especially as they're trying to do this book in their own life. Now, I know there are Christians with big issues, and sometimes they sin in these things. And I'm not saying that we say, oh, don't worry about sin. I just assume the best about you. Sin is still sin. And we still confront those things. Okay? Okay. Let me keep going. Uh, Number four. We're halfway there. Doing great. Let's read verse 16 through 19. I know we're jumping forward a little bit. Let's read verses 16 through 19. Uh, Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. I think I should just stop there. I wasn't going to do this, but I was looking at this verse this morning as I was just kind of preparing my heart. Verse 16 jumps out at me. Don't allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. You know what the word spoken of as evil, what word that is? Uh, In Greek, it's blasphemy. That's the word that's being used, blasphemy. Uh, And I almost consider Paul saying, the world's watching you, church. The world's watching how you figure this out. How do white people treat people of color? How do we deal with this and vice versa? How are we handling this issue? And dare you handle it in a way that lets the world blaspheme the church? Paul's like, no, I don't want that for the church. I guess I read that this morning and I thought, that's why I'm preaching this message. I don't want the world to blaspheme us. And it breaks my heart and it breaks God's heart. Let's keep going. Um, Don't allow what you consider good to be blasphemed, spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Here's what Paul does. It's brilliant. He says, I want you to emphasize kingdom priorities. Emphasize our commonality in the kingdom. Uh, So this is how he says it. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. We could also say the kingdom of God is not about voting. You know, it's just not. We have things that are bigger than that. And as important as the election is, important as politics is, and it is, kingdom principles are still more important. They're always going to be more important. And he gives some examples. He says, like righteousness, joy, peace, peace, peace. There are people in light of this election that have very little peace right now. And they would look at some of us and say, it's partially your fault that we don't have peace right now. There are people that are fearful. They're scared. And and we can do all the... um, we can do all the excusing it and saying, no, no, that's just you and, and perfect love casts out fear, so, so be well. You know. But is it possible that the way we vote has not caused peace? Now, I know what, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, if we voted the other way and the other candidate got elected, what peace would there be then? Right? I get it. It was like a no-win situation. I, I totally understand that. That's why we go above the election. <laughs> We go beyond the election and we say, what's our kingdom priorities like? What do we agree on here? Instead of saying, I'm on this side and you're on this side, how about saying, what do we agree on? 
Because what we agree on is more important than anything in politics. Agreeing on Christ is so much more important. Agreeing on kingdom principles is so much higher. It's like this. If you get invited to a Packer game, you go and you put on your green and gold and you go and watch the game and you talk about the players. And if it's a Bears game, if you're a Packer fan, you need to be a little quiet, right? You know, because you don't want to be that obnoxious guy. But, but the idea is, when you get a group of people that are cheering for the same team, I think everybody was cheering for the Cubs, weren't they, this year? Like, everybody, except for the Indians fans. But uh, everybody else, it doesn't matter what team you normally cheer for, you wanted the Cubs to win. But you, you go to these, you watch the game, and you wear the, you wear the gear, you wear the shirt, you wear the hat. I've seen a lot of Cubs hats I've never even seen recently. You guys are all proud suddenly, you know. Um, but uh, you're wearing it because you belong to that team. And when you talk to other fans... You say, let's talk about that player. How are they pitching? Or in football, how are they catching the ball? What kind of injuries are going on? You have all the insider language. And we have all the insider language as a church. What are we about? Righteousness, peace, joy. And we want that for each other. I want that for you and you want that for me. We emphasize what we have in common and that we're on the same team. And it's not that you're on that side of the aisle and I'm on this side of the aisle. We're on the same side. Even if we vote differently, we're on the same side. So the question would be, in light of a divisive political season, 600 days of it, do you know that's how long it lasted? 600 days of it. How are we going to respond and say, this is what we're about? This is who we are. We're about righteousness, joy, peace, and a host of other things. I think when we talk, when two people who have different opinions talk, here's how they do it. In the church, that is. If they're not in the church, they probably scream at each other. <laughs> but if you're in the church, you say, let's talk about the things we both agree on. How about this? The Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Can we all agree that the Good Samaritan says, who's my neighbor? Well, anybody could be my neighbor. You know, that, that was The person that asked Jesus about the Good Samaritan says, well, who's my neighbor? And the funny thing is, Jesus didn't necessarily answer, who is your neighbor? He answered, how to be a neighbor. You ever notice that? You know, I'm not so interested in who is, but how. How do you be a neighbor? Well, you see people that are different than you, like the Samaritan saw the Jewish person, and you go and be loving and neighborly to them. Are we being neighborly to people of color? Are we? Is that how we vote? Is that how we act? Um, I notice that one of the non-negotiables in evangelicalism, I think rightly so, is uh, abortion. We are pro-life. Now, uh, in January, I'm going to do a message on Sanctity of Life Sunday. That's mid-January. We are for the unborn. And we are for the mother who has to give birth and, and, and she's single and she needs help. We are for her as well. We are pro-life, pro-family. This is who we are. So we want laws to reflect that kingdom principle. Is the law of the land right now in this country reflecting that kingdom principle of life? No, it's not. So we pray about it. We, 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 we do whatever we can to get the right people in the right places because we want to promote life in this country. And yet, sometimes when it comes to some laws, 
And I'm not, again, I'm not saying where I am at on this issue. I'm just putting it out as an example. Say immigration. I want to share Christ with you, but I want to send you back to your home country because that's the law of the land. But have you stopped and asked yourself, is it the right law of the land? I know it is the law of the land, and we've got to uphold it. I get that. Is it the right one, or should we be acting and praying differently in that arena, just like we do pro-life? I'm not saying what you should be doing here. I'm not going there. I'm just trying to give a point of reference to say, there are some laws, and we say, this is not a great law. That should be different. Other times we look at laws and say, it's the law, we've got to uphold it. Maybe we should think about laws in terms of kingdom priorities and pray that way and talk that way. Uh, that's all I'm suggesting. Okay. Boy, it got really hot in here all of a sudden. Okay. Um, finally, last but not least. Oh, man, this is what the one you've been waiting for, right? Uh, don't harm someone else's faith. This is love. Don't harm someone else's faith. This is love. Uh, Let's read 15 and 20 and 21. Uh, If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. And then he has the same thought in 20 and 21. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that would cause your brother to fall. So when I see the church hurting, I'm not saying how you should have voted because I don't do that in church. And I will not do that. I'm not going to tell you how I voted. But it has caused me to reflect after the election that this election has caused hurt and fear and some people saying, this is, is this the church? Is this what we have? You know, it, It's caused those thoughts. Are those people right that feel that? Are they right to be scared? Are they right to think that their children of color will be bullied in school? Are they right to think that? I'm not telling you if they're right to think that. I'm just telling you this. Have you loved? That's all Paul does. Have you loved? If if a Gentile Christian said to the Jewish Christian, "Um, come over to my house. We're having a barbecue. And the Jewish Christian said, I can't do that. I can't eat the barbecue. You know that's unclean food. And the the Gentile Christian says, get over it. Come over and eat it. Just get over to my house. It's good. Have you ever tasted it? Sweet baby Ray's, buddy, you know. Uh, Come on over. What Paul is saying is, if you do that, sweet baby Ray was going to damage someone else's faith. Okay? It would hurt them. It would hurt them. Paul uses the word destroy. I don't think he means by destroy they're going to lose their salvation all of a sudden. But what he means is they're going to go down a road that is damaging for them and their faith. So we've got to think about doing politics in a way that loves other people. And post-election, we've got to talk about politics in a way that loves other people. One of the most loving things you can do for somebody that disagrees with you is just listen to them. And you don't listen to come up with your response, right? I got a good one. I got a zinger coming right back at you. You don't listen that way. You listen to understand them. And to understand them, typically what has to happen is this. I hear you, 
and I'm able to say back what you've said to me. That's also good marital advice too, you know. I'm, I might have saved your marriage right there, right? If your spouse says something, especially you guys, you men, you know what happens when your wife gets home from work and she says, this is how it went and this is how my day was and everything's... And you say, we can fix that, honey, A, B, C, and D. Got it. That's not what she wanted from you. She wanted some compassion, some support. If you would have said, honey, I want to pray about that, oh man, she'd be like, hallelujah, and everybody around, you know, calling her friend up, you know. <laughs> he prayed for me when I told him. He didn't try to fix it, you know. Um, we can hear people out. Too often when we hear, we, hear, we listen in a way that says this. I'm going to talk back to you after you've spoken to me, and I'm going to convince you that your point is wrong. And Paul, I think in the first three verses here, let's see if I got it right, um, calls that uh, quarreling. Uh, it might be a different translation here that uses the word quarrel, but um, passing judgment, quarreling. You know, I'm judging what you just said, and I'm going to show you how wrong you are. And that is not helping us move forward in love. How about we hear each other and weigh it and consider it? How about the fact that uh, Facebook disputes have never solved anything? And yet, I have seen, I, I've seen some people that I grew up with, some siblings, that were like really going at it. And I thought, I wonder what Thanksgiving is going to look like for them, you know? Um, I don't know. But let's not harm someone else's faith. I know some of you are thinking, does that mean I would vote differently? Maybe. Maybe you would. You know, I met some pastors, um, and, uh, oh, I'm not going to go there. I said I wouldn't go there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, Delete that. Um, Maybe you will talk differently. Maybe you will end up thinking differently. But I really want you to promote love. That's what I really want. Now, I want to end with this. Uh, This is great. I've been thinking about this all week. All week long I've been thinking about this. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Am I the strong one or the weak one? How many of you thought that at some point today, you know? Am I on the strong side or the weak side? Which one am I? Because if I'm on the strong side, that would mean like, I'm strong, right? And if I'm on the weak side, that, that's just kind of like, I don't want to be that. Weak's like a, not, that's like a bad word, right? Um, so, the strong is not the people that win an argument, right? The strong are not the ones that happen to be in majority, Biblically, when Paul talks about strong, what is he talking about? Knowledge. Knowledge is the answer. He says, um, let me find it. Here we go. Oh, I closed my Bible. Why did I do that for? Um, All right, I'm coming to the end. He, He says, we know. Paul says in one verse, I think it's towards the end of the chapter, he says, we know that eating anything is permissible. We know it. He's talking about your mind. He's talking about your knowledge. You may know that your view is correct, but how will you love the person over here? And what if you are the strong one? What if you are the right one? How will you love the weak one over here that has messed up views? And I'm saying that for either side. Either side. However you voted, whatever your politics are, Whatever you think about any of these issues, if you think you're right and, and your, your, your view is based on the Bible, then you're talking to someone that's weak 
and they have the wrong views, how will you treat the weak person over there and not damage their faith? How will you come together in love? That's what I would challenge you with. And then I want to I end with this verse. Uh, if you would go to uh, Romans fifteen seventeen. Romans fifteen seventeen. Paul comes back to this idea. It's awesome. It's beautiful. Oh, and of course that's not the right verse. I totally picked the wrong verse. Where did it go? I'm not going to find it. Maybe it's 7. Maybe that was my typo. There it is. 15-7. 15-7. Typo. Here he goes again. In chapter 15 he says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to be the praise of God. This year, this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, when you go into those holiday times and you're talking with people that differ than you, would you accept them? Would you pros Lombano? Would you throw the doors open and say, pros Lombano? I welcome you. I accept you. And when you read that blog that has a different, different view of this whole thing than what you think, would you read that blog and say, pros Lombano? This is a brother or sister in Christ that's trying to share their heart with me. And I'm going I'm to be discerning. I'm going to compare it to the Bible like a Berean would, right? I'm going to compare it to Scripture but I'm going to receive that person in to speak to me about this. I don't know if any of you will change your views after this sermon, but you all better consider how to welcome the person on the other side. Let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Father, we... uh